Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Lord, thank you for your grace, for your kindness, for your wonderful faithfulness, that you are who you say you are, that you do what you say you do. Thank you that you never change, that your love is for every area of our lives, Lord God. And we thank you today that as we come before your word, God, that you will speak to every one of us, God, even me. I pray, Lord, that you would unstop our ears by your Holy Spirit to hear what it is that you're saying to us, God. Would you come and speak louder than anyone else in this room today? Would you impact us, God, with your word? I pray that we'll go away changed and that we won't just say that was lovely and then carry on as we were before god we really submit ourselves to your word and say please god speak and do what you purpose to do today for your glory i pray amen amen i'm excited today i really feel encouraged by the lord i feel like he's got a word i think he's already been speaking to us amen Anyone feel like God's spoken to you so far? Hallelujah. We're in the series Letting People See Jesus again. We're going to dip into that for a while and see what God says to us through that series. Today I am going to be speaking um, from Luke chapter 15. But before I do that, I want to just give you a little bit of a background so that you can kind of understand more of what Jesus was saying through the text that we're going to read today. I think often... We're guilty of just isolating a portion of scripture without fully understanding the flow of what it comes into. And so let me, let me just give you a brief background. We're in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. You know, the Pharisees in the Bible were the religious. And when I use the word religious, I mean unhelpfully religious. They were the legalistic kind of, they just used to pick, nitpick fine details, there wasn't a whole lot of the love of Jesus going on in their lives, okay? But Jesus is actually at one of their house for dinner. And so he's speaking to them, and he begins to outlay a few principles that are helpful for us today. He starts to talk about when people go to someone's, uh, to a wedding or, or a dinner, a wedding dinner, how they shouldn't take the best seat but they should take the lowest seat. Do you remember that? He says, because, you know, it might be a really unfortunate situation where the host comes to you and says, sorry, there's an important person and you're sitting in their seat and that'll make you look, you know, a little bit foolish. A bit like when we went to go and watch a movie the other night and there were some folks sat in our seat. So we said, sorry, you're in our seats. So then they moved down too. A few minutes later, another couple came and said, sorry, you're in our seats. So they got up and moved two rows forward and sat down. A few minutes later, someone else came and said, sorry, you're in our seat. They got up and they went again and sat to the other side of us. And guess what? A fourth time, someone said, excuse me, you're in our seat. It's not a great feeling. Imagine, you're sat thinking you're quite important and the host says, actually, sorry, there's someone else who belongs here. You need to go and sit over there. So Jesus says, it's better if you go and just sit in the cheap seats and wouldn't it be great if the host said, hey, why are you sitting there? Come sit up here. Preferring others. Amen. Jesus goes on to talk about when you invite people to your home for a dinner. He says, don't invite your friends and your family and your gang. 
Invite people outside of your circle. And then he goes on to list the poor, the crippled, the lame. How many of you would find that a challenge? Jesus is all about challenging the listeners through this. It's easy to gather around the people that you know and you like. But he's saying, hey, what about the other people who aren't in your comfort zone? And then he goes on to apply this to the gospel itself when he's talking about the great banquet, that time when Jesus comes back and calls us to glory with him. Amen? And he talks about the story how the, the, the guy who's giving this great banquet gave out the invitations long before, and then the time came for the banquet, and the guys that were invited all started to make all sorts of excuses why they couldn't come. And the banquet holder was frustrated that the guys who had heard about the invite were not pulling their finger out and coming. And so he says to his servants, go outside and get the people outside in the street and invite them in. And lo and behold, they don't come in. And so the guy hosting the banquet's even more frustrated. He says, go to the furthest lanes and hedgerows and call them to come because now is the time. Right? This idea that everyone needs to come to the banquet. Do you know that there are people who have heard about Jesus coming back and the need to be in relationship with him and they're making all sorts of excuses? And God says, okay, that's fine. You've heard, but there are other people. We need to tell everybody. Amen. So this is the background that Jesus is speaking to. And then he goes even further and he says, do you know what, guys? There's a massive cost involved with being my disciple. I want you to count the cost. I want you to think clearly about what you're getting involved with. And then he goes on to say some outrageous stuff like, you need to give up your mother and your father, your brother and your sister to follow me. You need to forsake them. You even may need to forsake your life to follow me. Man, he is getting in their face. There's a cost involved to following Jesus. Then he goes on to talk about how we're called to be salty, that we need to be salt and light, that we need to live our lives in such a way that there's a flavoring that comes off of us and makes everything around us just that much better. Hey? Living in such a way that our salt impacts others. Not good enough just to say, man, I'm a great salt seller. Just pop me in the drawer and I'll just be salty by myself. Being salty with our family, with our friends, at our schools, in our community, at our workplace. And he goes on to say, what is the point of salt if it's not salty? There's no point to it whatsoever. It's not even good enough to throw on a cesspit, he's saying. Wow. Imagine you're a Pharisee. And you're sitting there and you're hearing this kind of thing. Or you're one of the crowd that have been following Jesus when he speaks. Man, Greg used a fantastic phrase and I've been thinking about it all week this week. Where he says that Jesus loved to offend their minds so that he could reveal what was in their hearts. And I want Jesus to do that today. And if you're offended by what you hear today, I want you to ask God why. Don't just be cross with me or cross with the church. Say, Jesus, why am I upset about this? What is it inside of me that needs to change? And if there's nothing that needs to change, wonderful.
But if there is, be honest with yourself and be honest with the Lord or you will not move on. Amen. Amen. So I feel like I could almost sit down after that already, but I'm not going to. If you read the story, the Pharisees are bleak. They are cross. They are grumbling and mumbling and muttering. And Jesus knows. And so he teaches into the situation and he tells three parables of which we're going to talk about two today. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. We won't look at the third one. We're going to look at the first two today. But it's his response to the Pharisees who are grumbling and muttering amongst themselves, who are offended, proper, properly offended. So let's read our passage today. We're going to read from the book of Luke, chapter 15. <clears throat> um, what is fantastic while Jesus is speaking is that lost people, unsaved people, are all gathering around. It's awesome. They are gathering around to hear the truth. But the Pharisees are cross. So Jesus says, or we'll read together, sorry. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around proper sinful people like you and me. Amen. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. That's not right. Why is he spending time with non-Christians? Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Then he goes on. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner who repents. Hallelujah. We're going to take a few moments. If you can point your eyes up at the screen, we're going to watch a trailer from a film that I saw recently, and I want to try and tie this into what we're going to talk about today. Thank you very much, guys. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Yeah. 
Now you can either accept that, or you can get to work. This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates, and to NASA, and to the entire world. But I'm still alive. Surprise. Here's the rub. It's gonna be four years for another mission to reach me. And I'm gonna have designed the last 31 days. So I gotta make water and grow food on a planet where nothing grows. But if I can't figure out a way to make contact with NASA, then none of this matters anyway. We've got an incoming message. Mein Gott. <laughs> Mark Watney's still alive. In your face, Neil Armstrong. There must be some kind of way out of here. Okay, so let's do the math. I have enough food to last for 50 days. He's going to starve to death long before we can help. So, I'm gonna have to science the shit out of this. He's 50 million miles away from home. He's totally alone. What the hell is he thinking right now? I am the greatest botanist on this planet. I know how to save Mark Watney. But we need the Hermes crew. We either have a high chance of killing one or a low chance of killing six. I'm not risking their lives. It's bigger than one person. No, it's not. NASA rejected the mission. So if we do this? We're talking mutiny. If anything goes wrong, we die. Do you realize how crazy this is? We have no other option. What happens? Tell the world. Tell my family. And I never stop fighting to make it home. Apologies for the little uh, blip in the middle there. But uh, I can highly encourage you to go and watch this film, particularly in the context of what we're going to talk about today. It's got some great application to what we're going to talk about. My title today is The Martian Gospel. Okay, And I, I want us to, to talk about that a little bit today. But quick synopsis of the film, if you didn't pick the guts of what that was talking about. Uh, a team of astronauts, six of them, uh, make this journey to Mars. Um, and whilst they're there, there's a big storm on the planet and uh, they have to evacuate the planet. In the process of that, the, the main guy, Matt Damon, who plays a guy called Mark Watney, gets hit by some debris and disappears in the darkness. They have to go. They have to leave. They think he's dead. And so the rest of the team leave the planet thinking that Mark is dead. But he's not. He is properly alive, really alive. But now he's all on his own, facing the prospect that the next NASA mission to Mars is only going to be in four years' time. Four years. And so he gets to work trying to survive. Trying to make 51 days' worth of food into four years' worth of food. Trying to communicate with NASA on Earth to let them know he's alive so that they can do whatever they can do before then to reach him. And you have the guys on Earth, a team of scientists, the NASA folk, 
doing their best to work out the details to try and get to him before that four-year deadline and to try and help him stay alive in this time. And eventually it comes to the point where they have to decide, is it worth all the effort and all the cost and the lives of the people who are currently on their way back to earth, his team, to try and save one person. There's a great interchange of conversation between uh, Jeff Daniels, who plays like the head of NASA, and another character called um, Mitch Henderson, who's played by Sean Bean. You would have seen it on there. Uh, It goes something like this. We either have a high chance of killing one or a low chance of killing six. And so the head of NASA says, I'm not risking their lives, meaning the rest of the team. It's bigger than one person. And Sean Bean comes back and he says, no, it's not. It's not bigger. And so that is the question this morning that I want to address today, that I want us to resolve in our hearts and minds as Christians in Lighthouse Church, meeting in this building every Sunday and around this island through the week. The question, is the church's mission to keep the Christians safe and happy Or is the church's mission to go out there and risk it all to save the lost? I'm going to ask that question again. I want you to think about it. Is the church's mission to stay here in this room and play happy families and like everybody that we've got to know already around us? Or is it to go out there and risk our comfort for the sake of the lost. That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to make four observations, and I'm using the word Mars, and I'm going to break it down into the letters of the word Mars to try and help you. Okay, first of all, I want to talk about the letter M, the word muttered. The word muttered. We're going to talk about the Pharisees for a few minutes. Jesus offended them. He offended their minds, and muttering is what came out. He offended their minds, and muttering is what came out of their mouths. I want to just define that word mutter for you. And if you're like me, I'm hoping that you're doing a little bit of a self-evaluation while this information is flowing out over you and over me. Okay, the word mutter means to murmur. It means to grumble. It means to complain. It means to speak against in a low tone. It means of those who discontentedly complain. Those who confer secretly together. Would you be surprised at all if I said to you today that muttering is unhelpful? Muttering in the family of God is divisive. Amen? Is it helpful? Is there a better way? Of course there is. Muttering is not healthy And it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable within the church. Jesus, in John chapter 6, 
verse 33, spoke directly to the people in this kind of a situation, and he said, stop. Stop grumbling amongst yourselves. Are you grumbling or muttering or complaining at the moment? I just want to ask you that question. Let's be direct. I hope I'm offending you if you are. I want your attention. There's a better way. Now, (coughs) how many of you have picked up so far that moving to this venue is a bit more complicated and challenging than when we were at the Grand? Hey? We've got a growing team of people that serve you all, and they're doing an awesome job. But let me tell you, the workload has ramped up. It's not, it hasn't been easy to move here. It has had challenges, and it's not easy going forward because there is that much more work to do. We all understand that. And to be fair, the coffee was much better at the Grand. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <coughs> Me personally, when we were at the Grand, I didn't have to be at church at 7 o'clock every morning on a Sunday. Okay? I didn't have to sweep the bird poop off the steps and the foyer so that when you come to church on a Sunday, you don't have to step in it or step over it. I personally didn't have to pick up all the litter on the street so that when you come, it looks neat and tidy. Now, I'm not telling you all of that to say, look at me, I'm special. I want you to understand, (laughs) thanks, who needs friends when we've got friends like you, or enemies, I should say. There are things that have to be done. All right. Last week, God blessed Jonathan. At the end of the service, when all the chairs had been swept up, he was wet all around his neck here from the effort of stacking chairs and moving chairs. You guys who serve on the teams know, you know, I would love to still be in bed till the last minute. I don't like getting up in the dark. I don't like driving here in the dark. Thank goodness the clocks are moving next weekend. My point that I'm trying to make right here, why, why do we put ourselves through that when our wonderful warm beds, like the best magnet in the world, want to hold us in on a Sunday morning. Why do we do that? Because we've got nothing better to do? I'm sure we've got lots of other things that we could be doing. Amen. The point is, we put ourselves through that because there's more room in this venue for people to come. People who are out there who don't know Jesus. We're trying to get them here. We want to make space for them here. Look around you already. We're growing already. It's fantastic. We come here because there are fantastic rooms behind where we're meeting, where the kids are having a ball, where we've we've planted a seed of work for our kids out there. We want to fill all those rooms up with children. We want their families to be in here with us. Amen. That's what it's all about. And if I have to carry heavy staging, and I have to sweep bird poop off the steps, and I have to pick up people's trash from the road, it's worth it. And I gladly do it. And I constantly check my bad attitude. Because of why? 
Amen. So I say that because I know it's hard for us. Change is not easy for us. It's difficult. And you guys have been awesome. But just in case you're tempted to complain or mutter about the rubbish coffee, okay, remember why we're doing it. Okay. And Jesus will show you how silly you're being and you'll think, it's worth it. Sorry, Lord. Okay. Let's not say, oh, I preferred it. What do you think? I preferred it at the Grand. Because I had my seat in that place. And I could see where I wanted to. I didn't have to go there or do this. That's unimportant. Okay. Let's keep our eye on the prize. Right. So, what's in your heart? Can I just say that if you do have something to contribute, and it's helpful, the best thing to do is speak to the people involved. Amen? Don't gather a posse of grumblers around yourself. Please, that's not helpful. Okay, moving along. The second point that I wanted to make today was the fact that when Jesus was speaking, people were getting offended left, right, and center, and it makes me think that he was talking about an alien concept. Okay? And this kind of ties into the first point a little bit. Because there is a culture in the church today, and I say not just this church, but the big church, where we have to constantly battle with our desire for our comfort. You know, getting to know new people, once we get to know them, oh, it's so much easier. We don't want, new more, we don't want any more new people coming into our life groups because we're happy with each other. We get each other. There's a concept that says comfort is the most important thing, and Jesus was preaching against it. And I want to tell you, the gospel is an alien concept. The gospel teaches us that we get saved purely because of the grace of God. That we can't do anything to buy grace or to be good. Amen? That's alien because the world tells you if you want anything out there, you go and do it. You go and be better. You go and do better. You go and make more money. You go get it. It's all about what you can do. The gospel says you can't. The mission of the church is an alien concept. It requires us to be selfless. Man, every time I get that broom out the van, I have to practice being selfless. That's the mission of the church. Luke 14, Jesus has been teaching throughout that chapter. It's not about us, it's about them. Don't take the best seat, take the lowest seat so someone else can have that seat. When you invite people, don't just gather all your good connections together. Get the people out there that you don't know. Bring them in. When the gospel is preached... People here can hear it. But what about the people outside who can't hear it? What about them? What about them? What about the people on the other side of the island? Who's telling them? It's all about selflessness. Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Man, I got a bit of a revelation this week about Jesus. You know, he was super honest. When he was praying, right about before he went to the cross, do you remember the prayer that he prayed? He said, Father... If you are willing, take this cup from me. What's he saying? He's saying to his father, Father, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die there. I don't want to be separated from you, Father. I don't want to go through that. That's me. Jesus speaking says, I just don't want to do it. It's going to hurt on so many levels. I don't want to do it. 
but your will be done, not my will. If you're willing, if it's your will, Father, for me to go to that cross, I will. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, and this is talking about Jesus considering the cross and how he didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to die there. He did not want to die there. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Looking ahead, and I'm going to read some verses at the end to what he was looking to. He looked ahead to what he was about to achieve, and in his heart he said, It's all worth it, Father. I will do it. I will go through it. I will grit my teeth as they drive the nails through my flesh. I will think of the end and what will come because of my death here today. I will do it because it's worth it. Amen. Jesus was expressing the mission of the church, which is your will, Father, be done on earth, not my will. I will lay my life down for you, Lord God to see the ends of the earth reached with the gospel. That's powerful, amen. What's the devil want to preach to us? Guys, you got it made. You sorted. You in. Let's party. Let's have a great time here. Let's get focused on this time. Don't worry about them. You guys are okay. That's what the devil's telling you. But Jesus is saying, what did I die for? What did I die for? So let's apply it to our first little parable today, the lost sheep. The point that I want to make today is Jesus was prepared to walk away from the 99, to leave them by themselves so that he could go and find one, the one that was lost. It was more important to Jesus to find that lost person than to be with the Christians. Think about it. Just take a moment. It was more important to go out until he found the lost person than to give all his attention <coughs> and all his time and all his energy and all his focus to those who were in. Amen. It was more important to go and find the lost one. I imagine, if we're all honest, and we could speak sheep, that there was at least one sheep saying, hello, where is the shepherd going? Where are you going, Lord? Look at all of us over here. Why are you leaving us behind? There's stuff to be done here. Look after us. And he was like, guys, I love you. You're doing awesome. You'll be fine. I need to go and find that lost one. Amen. My third letter today is the word rejoicing. Do you see the response of the angels in heaven when one person gets saved? <laughs> we've had many Sundays when we've prayed for people at the end of the service and one or two people have put up their hands. And the normal response is, praise God. <laughs> Why? Are we not going out of our heads 
rejoicing about just one person that gets saved. Why? Why? Why are we not that enthusiastic? Why? Can you answer? It's an important question. Because if we do go out of our heads with enthusiasm, I think it says something about this burden that is bubbling inside of us for the lost to be saved. Without realizing it, we're sending a message when we go, praise God. Is that fair? I don't know. Maybe it's just because we're all very British. But we're after a heavenly culture right here. We're not after an African culture. We're not after an English culture. We're not after a Romanian culture or an American culture or a European culture. We want the culture of heaven. It's Jesus that draws us together. There's a culture in heaven that we're going to be a part of one day. So let's practice it now. Amen. Please, let's ask God to rip away the Britishness or whatever it may be that is stopping us from being enthusiastic for the lost. We need the motivation inside. Because I think something's missing. I think something is missing. Jesus and heaven are consumed by the lost because it's personal. You know, sometimes we can be guilty of thinking about the lost as, you know, the generic lost out there. A sea of faceless people. But actually to God, everyone has a name. Everyone has a story. He knows the hairs on their head. Before they even came to be, he saw every day of their lives. What's actually happening here on earth is a father in heaven who lost his children through sin and he is doing everything that he can to gather them back together but you and I I don't think we quite get it as much as we should and so from today my prayer is God would you put a burden in my heart for the lost that drives me out of my comfort zones way into the wilderness to find your precious children, and help them come home. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand. It's taking ages for him to come back. People for decades have been saying, The Lord's coming soon. Why isn't he here yet? Let me tell you why. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting any one to perish, but every one to come to repentance. You know, when the switch goes and Jesus comes back, it's too late. It's just too late. We won't be able to do anything else about reaching the lost. Those lost people won't have an opportunity to say, Jesus, save me. It'll be too late. But God is putting it off. He is saying, Jesus, just wait. Not yet. There's still, there's still countless thousands and millions of people in the world who don't know. Just wait. Just wait. Jesus is saying, I want to go and get my bride. I want to go and get my bride. And the Father's saying, just wait.
Be patient. Be patient. If we go now, that'll be it. And the lost will be lost. God loves the individual. Every single one of the 7.3 billion people on this planet right now. They're not a sea of faces. He knows them better than you know yourself. And they mean something to him. My last point this morning, salvation. Do you realize, again, I'm trying to activate an awareness in you. Do you realize that the world is full, rammed full of Mark Watneys who are doing everything that they can to get through, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, doing everything that is in their power, that they know how to, to resolve this issue, this cry inside of their lives. Like Mark Watney trying to leave Mars and get back home to Earth. These people are making every effort they can to save themselves. But they can't break free from the gravity of sin. They can't get out of the orbit of their sinfulness. And just like this film required that team to come for Mark Watney to do everything that he can and put himself in a position where he could be saved, this team needed to be there at the right time to connect with him to help him be saved. And my point today, folks, people don't get saved without our involvement. They are trying to save themselves, but the Bible tells us there is no way that man can be saved except through Jesus. If they don't have that piece of information, they can't put the two together. We need to be partnering with the Lord to see the lost come home. I want to read to you from Revelation. I said I would read this as we come to a close this morning. Revelation chapter 7. <clears throat> John is talking about this vision. And from verse 9 he says, After this, I looked, and remember, this is a promise. This is a beautiful promise for us, folks. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Billions, I believe. Billions. From every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Beautiful. That is what Jesus was looking at when he said, your will be done, Father. That is what we can look forward to. Amen. But it says after that, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. Now listen to this. Because they've understood this. The world, however, is full of people who don't know this yet. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne. He's sitting because there's nothing else to do. He's done his part. His father, I believe, is not sat yet. Amen. It says, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. God saves the lost 
when we partner with him. God saves the lost when we, we, you and me work with him. God saves the lost when we partner with him. He does the saving, we do the telling, we do the going, we do the laying of our lives down so that he can save them. In that last parable that we read about the woman with the lost coin, when she realized that she had lost one of her ten coins, she turned the light on and the Bible says she swept the dirt floor in her house and she searched. She had to sweep away the dust and the rubbish that may have been there to reveal the coin. And I believe there's something prophetic for us today that we can do right now. I'm asking that God's going to turn a light on in our hearts and minds. And that we're going to start looking into our hearts and sweeping the lies aside. The chaff that we fill our lives up with. Sweeping, searching through our hearts until we get to the point where our eyes are opened and we can see the coins. Amen. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful kindness to us, God. I thank you that we could count ourselves amongst the saved here today. God, please never let us forget that the world is full of people who don't know you. Would you sweep through our hearts and minds right now, Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you blow, blow into our minds and our hearts. Blow so strong that things get moved. That lies are blown clean away. The cobwebs, the litter of lies in our lives. I pray God that as we partner with you in the searching, the soul searching, that God you will reveal your beautiful truth and that you will help us God to have eyes that look like Jesus' eyes look. That you will help us to see the lost and to prize them God like you prize them. When the world sends alien messages God I pray we'll hold on to your truth that we'll be able to bring the lost home and we look forward to the day, God, when we stand like John and behold the numbers, the faces, the throngs, the countless people who are saved. We look forward to that time, God. But until then, help us to work hard. Help us to lay our lives down. Help us to care less about ourselves and more about the others. God, thank you that we are a family here. But never let us get so comfortable with ourselves that we stop looking outside. Help us to know that mission trumps preference every time. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you may be here today and you have heard 
a message that has activated or, 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 or got your attention inside. And, and you're, you can honestly say today that you have never given your life to Jesus, but today you believe He's calling to you. You might be sitting there and your heart is racing. You're saying, God, what are you doing in my life? What is this all about? If you're here today, while our heads are bowed, in the privacy of this moment, I want to ask you just to pop your hand up and I'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, anyone, thank God. Thank you, Lord. Well, God, I pray <laughs> that this will change, God. That when we ask that this, there, there will be no spare seats in this place, Lord God. I pray that the spare seats will be filled with lost people, God, that we've brought with us to church. That it won't be people coming from another church to check us out, but it'll be people who don't go to church. Lord, I pray that when we give altar calls, that there will be tens of people who put their hands up. That there will be hundreds of Lord God, that there will be opportunity for thousands, Lord. That's what we pray for, God. No more where it's just ones and twos. We thank you for them, Lord. But we pray a harvest to come as we live our lives missionally for you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He's good. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.